seated. Morning again. We're uh, continuing our series called Fulfilled, where we're thinking about how God calls us to live uh, a fulfilling life in the here and now, not just like about how one day we'll be reunited in heaven, but that God calls us to live uh, fulfilled as, as we are uh, right now. I'm thankful to Lars for sharing last week. He did a great job helping us to think about uh, what it looks like to put on the clothing of Christ and to be people who really seek out the virtues that, that God calls us to live out and really sacrificially uh, give our lives to those things so that we ultimately, again, would live a fulfilling life in, in the here and now. So we've been basing this series off a question in Mark chapter 10. Uh, interesting that Mindy would talk about Mark 10. Um, not that yet, but um, in Mark chapter 10, there is a, a blind man who Jesus comes and encounters, and he says, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man says, well, I'd like to be healed. And we've just been focusing on the beginning part of that question, which often I don't think we recognize that God would call us to think about, like, what is it that you want? And like, really, what is it that you want with your life? Because the times that I've made the biggest mistakes in my life are when I've used the, given the wrong answer to that question. Like, I really want to have like a great relationship with my kids. I really want to have a great relationship with my spouse. But let me do these other things instead of actually like really thinking about this is what I actually want out of my life. So oftentimes, I don't think we recognize that God calls us to a fulfilling life in the here and now where we actually get to experience like our deepest desires. I'm going to talk today about a very short verse that I think we could all learn a lot from if we would allow ourselves to, and kind of the reason why I think we can screw that up a little bit. So John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus says this, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. And this is a passage you maybe you're familiar with if you've been around church for a while. And I know for me, generally, when I think about it, like the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, I immediately think of like a red devil figure, right, with the horns on. And I think about like me, you know, like the life I have and me trying to like protect it. Like I'm always this virtuous character, perhaps. Like I'm really going for this life and like the thing that's trying to steal it from me and destroy. And I think there are like demonic forces in our world, but as I really think about what this passage is telling us and, and what it means, if we're honest, is we all can be thieves of what we hope to do. Like, who has the chance to mess with your potential more than anything else? You and me. It's the person that you look at. It's the person that I look at in the mirror. You and I have done more to undermine our happiness than anyone else. And I know this because you bought it, you ate it, you leased it, you dated it. And I can put my I in there. I bought it, I ate it, I dated it. And I didn't date all that much, um, which might surprise you. That might be a shocking revelation for today. Um, but I didn't date all that much, despite uh, how wonderful I am. I took Mandy to realize how wonderful I am. But we all have made, thing, made mistakes in these areas and lots of other areas. There are many more verbs that I could say that we have like maybe launched out thinking like, this is going to be the best thing for me. And then we look back and think, wow, that's a, a really terrible regret. And I made that choice. It's something that 
I've realized I'm now like an old minister, I guess, because I've been doing it for about ten and a half years, as I have worked with lots of different kinds of people and, and, and been in many experiences with them. Um, when someone is like consistently unhappy about us as, as a church, like they're just not happy, not happy, not happy, like it's not just church that they're unhappy about. Like it's really their entire life. Like, they're unhappy about church, and they're unhappy about work, and they're unhappy about their friends. They're unhappy about their situation. And so this is a part of it, and it's like something, and I always appreciate feedback and always want people, but people who actually are helpful are the people who help us to identify problems and then tell us, okay, well, let me help you fix it. Like, let's work towards a solution together, not just somebody who stands on the outside and, and critiques it. And I've noticed that people who are unhappy in this one area of life, it's like they're unhappy everywhere. And you just want to say, well, why did you choose that life? Why did you choose to just be unhappy about everything instead of like actually thinking about how you could make all of these things better? We all, in many different ways, are our own worst enemy. And sometimes we need to really just honestly ask the question, what, what is my thief? What has the potential to rob me of greater and deeper joy? I can be confessional here, something, something for me that I struggle with and still struggle with is, is food. I love food. I love really good food. And for me, I, I know that if I let myself, I tell people that when it comes to food, I generally just eat what's like socially acceptable. Like I don't really get full. Like I can just kind of keep going. So I look around, I'm like, all right, like, is that what that person's eating? All right, I'll, I'll kind of just stick with that. It kind of, that's, that's, that's how I, I do it. And I remember one time in, in college, I went off to my freshman year, and I was an overachiever. I didn't gain the freshman 15. I gained like the freshman 25 or something. Um, part of that was I severely sprained my ankle, and so I wasn't really doing much um, on the active front. But I remember one time about midway through the year, I was just like trying to think, okay, I feel like I've gained a lot of weight. Maybe I need to slow down the eating a little bit. Um, and in my lifetime, which is kind of weird, makes me sound like a dinosaur, but calories became a thing like in my lifetime, really. Like it was in, I looked it up, it was in 1990 that you had to put like calories on the outside of something. So in my lifetime, it kind of became a thing. So we were trying to figure out exactly what that looks like. And I remember one time in my room trying to figure out, okay, what is it that I'm like screwing up here? And I thought, well, it couldn't be breakfast. I just eat a muffin at breakfast. Turns out it was like a very large chocolate chip muffin. And I remember Googling this in my room, my freshman dorm room, and like it came back and said like, based on the size, that probably is like a 1,200 calorie muffin. And I had this like realization um, sitting there like, yeah, what's the difference between that and cake? Like, I guess there's not a whole lot of difference. Like, it's like a chocolate chip muffin. It's just like a cake. It was like a light bulb went off for me, and I'm embarrassed to say that, but it was totally like, whoa, that's, that's pretty crazy. And so it's, since then, I, it's still, it still is a struggle for me. That is, that is a thief that has the potential to rob me of life. Because if I just choose to eat unhealthy and just choose to not, like, watch that in myself and choose to just do kind of how, how I want to do it, eventually that'll rob me of life. I mean, the ability, perhaps, to, like, walk my kids down the aisle the ability to be like a source of, of support for my family? What is your thief? So we all have them. And Jesus says here that there's these thieves, these things that we all can be participating in and, and fall into the traps that, that we can get messed up with, but I have called you that you would live an abundant 
life. And the Greek word that he used there is fascinating. It basically means like something that is not ordinarily encountered. That people would look at the way that you live and say like, what, what is up? What is going on with you? There's something different that people would just look at your life and not that you're perfect, but that people would see what you're up to, the things that you care about, the way that you act in the world, and they would just notice there's, there's just something different about you. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come. That you would have a life that people would look at and say, yeah, there's just something different about that person. And again, this isn't like off in the future and like one day, you know, we'll be reunited with God in heaven. This is that, that you would live in such a way that people would notice. We've talked in this series about the people that you know who are fulfilled one common thing, it's hard. They're all in different areas and different ways that they are fulfilled, like the ways that they experience this. But I would argue that every single one of the people that you would recognize as like lived a really fulfilled life, they all have peace. They're at peace with God and at peace with other people. Like that, I believe, is ultimately, and it's going to be defined in lots of different ways, but the common thing that they would have is a certain kind of peace. That maybe people would look at you one day and say, wow, things are just crazy right now. But how do you have a certain sort of peace about you that doesn't really seem to be affected by everything? And Jesus like, continues this, and in John 10, 11 says, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. And this is one that perhaps uh, you had, like, you saw, like, cro- crocheted on your mom's or grandma's bathroom wall or something, and it's like, Jesus carrying a sheep, and it looks pretty nice, but I think this is interesting because this is a little bit of a backward slam if you really think about it. Like, Jesus is saying, y'all are sheep, right? Basically, like, you need to recognize that you need to continue to not just live the way that you would naturally live. The things that you think are, like, the best idea in a given moment, you should, every single moment of your life, like, submit your, your hearts to me. Think about how you can connect your life to me. Like, listen to my voice. I mean, that's one thing that is a very common understanding with, with a shepherd, like eventually the, the sheep will know the voice of a good shepherd, different than another voice. Uh, do we all know the voice of God? Do we recognize that, yeah, if I was just left to my own devices, I would probably make some pretty poor, and I have made some pretty poor choices. I heard a minister say a really long time ago, um, we've all made some bad decisions, and it's, and it's bad, but it's good. I, we are our, our own worst enemy at times, and we're capable of doing things that, again, we never would have, have thought about doing this or ending up in this position, but it's so easy for us to just choose shortcuts and choosing something over the thing that we really, really want out of life. What is your thief? Something that's easy for you to choose. Oftentimes, I think it comes from, from this situation. Oftentimes, we put pleasure over fulfillment. And we grab for that thing, or we try to get the quick fix, and we choose to just go for that short-term pleasure, that little shot of adrenaline, instead of going for ultimate fulfillment. And I believe pleasure is God's idea. Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 2 tells us that Adam and Eve are put in the garden, and God says, your job is to, like, 
multiply. It's a pretty sweet gig. Then Jesus comes into the world, and what's his first ministry? Or what's his first miracle? Water into wine. And some like ministers will be like, "Well, it's actually not the word for wine." Yes, it is. It's wine. And he's at a party, basically, and things aren't going so well. Everybody's getting worried. He has an awkward interaction with his mom. And then, like, there's something going on, and they need some more wine. And probably the disciples are thinking, hey, should we go, like, heal somebody? And Jesus is like, no, turn on another song. And he turns this water into wine. And estimates are, I mean, you look in your Bible, it's right there. Estimates are that the... um, the stone jars that he uses would have held either 20 or 30 gallons of wine, and there's six of them. You probably haven't ever been to a party with 180 gallons of wine. <laughs> 180 gallons. And then the best part is they test it and go like, wow, usually like, you, you start out with the, t- the two-buck chucker. Usually that's what's coming out here at the end um, because everybody's had a little too much to drink. But right now, like, this is like the best stuff ever. How, how did this happen? Like, what exactly is going on here? So Jesus doesn't just say, like, hey, let's throw the, he, he, like, let's extend this party by a week or something. I mean, this is, like, not just a little bit. And it's weird because, again, you think of Jesus as, like, a miracle guy and healing blind people. Those are all, like, really important and, and what matters. But God is not against pleasure. But I think God is against when we choose pleasure or choose these shortcuts over what we really want. So what we need to do is flip that. That we would say, what is ultimately going to lead me to a fulfilling life? And here's the best part of that. If you start with that question, you're going to get both. But if you start the other way, eventually you'll have neither. If you run it out all the way to the extreme. Again, I believe God wants us to be fulfilled, to really experience what it is that we really want. And what's great about that is that includes pleasure. That includes that we would be able to to manage those appetites that we have in healthy ways. That we would be able to say, okay, this is what I ultimately want, and so this is how I'm going to do it. And so that ex- includes some pleasure, and that's great. But we need to start with the right question. A place that I, I see this, um, especially like in our world today, is technology. And the, the phone that you have, it is designed to be pleasurable and entertaining. It's going to like constantly shout at you and say, look at me, look at me, look at me. And Things, studies have shown that like shots of dopamine occur in our brain when we're doing something. Like, this is always going to be more entertaining than your spouse or your friends or your kids. Maybe not always, but more consistently. More consistently, this is going to be more entertaining than actually like doing the hard work that you need to do relationally in, in, in like actual community and relationships. This is going to constantly, I mean, it's a catered personal experience for you. It has the apps that you like. It has what you want to do. It has everything that you would like to do. It's going to constantly be yelling at you, you know, look at me, 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 look at me. And it's going to do that to the detriment of the relationships with the people around you. And so if you consistently just choose pleasure, 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 what you can end up doing is ignoring the things that you actually need to do around you. Ignoring actual, like, real, fulfilling relationships. 
Because it's so easy to just choose what's right in front of you. To choose a shortcut, to choose pleasure over what is ultimately going to be satisfying. Paul echoes this idea in Romans chapter 6, verse 16. Uh, He says, don't you know, this is like, come on, wake up, that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. He says basically that don't you know the the things that you keep saying yes to, the people that you consistently say yes to, those things eventually they are going to be your master. And it starts with not that big of a deal. It starts with, you know, yeah, it's fine for you, Brian, to have a 1,200-calorie chocolate muffin. It's not a big deal. You can just do that. Just do that in the privacy. Just don't worry about it. It's not that big of a deal. And I know, I've seen people who have just taken like a small step and a small step and a small step and a small step and continuing to choose to do that. And Paul says, don't you know that if you continue on this path and you just keep saying yes to that thing, eventually you come to a point when it's not a choice for you anymore. Eventually you arrive at a space that it's not like, oh, I chose this anymore. Eventually you have a moment when maybe some people who love you come around you and say, hey, this is not you. Hopefully you have people who do that for you. Paul says, don't you know that eventually if you keep like going down the same path, there's going to be a choice when it's not like your free choice and you can do whatever you want? If you, sir, if you just continue to say yes again and again and again to a certain thing, there might be a point that you wish you never would have opened that door. And you have too much pride to actually say that. Because you don't want to think that it's a big deal. You don't want to think that it's causing you an issue. But don't you know, there's one day you're going to wish you never opened that door? Because you started on this road trying to get like a shortcut to happiness. And now you don't have happiness or fulfillment. You need to start with better questions. And I said early in the series, unfortunately I've got bad news for you that happiness and and deep fulfillment in our lives, it's never about shortcuts. It's more like a farmer sowing seeds. When Jesus inaugurates basically his ministry and, and teaches the Beatitudes, it's all of these like ways of the heart that we're constantly trying to work towards. I talked about how when something like humility. You could really sum up the Beatitudes as someone just kind of being a humble person, but the problem with humility is once you find it, then you've got to start over again. Once you realize you're humble, start the process over again. So to truly be fulfilled, it's about us connecting our lives to to deeper things, to finding um, deeper places where we would say, okay, what is ultimately going to be more fulfilling for me in like all of these life situations? And it never stops. This is really good news, though. I found a great quote in a book I was reading recently. Following Jesus will make your life better, and following Jesus will make you better at life. Following Jesus will make your life better. Following Jesus will make you better at life. Just be honest. Is there a pleasure that's undermining your happiness? We all have them. We all have thieves that could take us from our great potential. 
We all have things that could rob us of who God wants us to be someday. And Jesus says, we recognize my voice. I'm the, the good shepherd. And here's the good news about following a shepherd like that, is that Jesus is going to lead you to good grass. It's not just that, like, your life is going to be terrible. He's going to lead you to the best grass. And I'm not talking about the stuff that's legal in California now. He's going to lead you to the best grass. Where ultimately, yes, you will find pleasure, but it's also going to be accompanied by fulfillment. Is there an area of your life when you just say, yeah, I need a reset on this? Because I don't want to get to a point where it's not even pleasurable for me anymore. Can we be honest that we can all be our own worst enemy? And there are things that we all need to say, all right, I need to reset in this area. I need to get this this going. I need to just figure this out. A a common understanding, which I actually, as I researched this, um, found out to be a myth, was that in 21 days you can change things about your life. Have you heard that? It takes takes 21 days to start a new habit. I've got some slightly bad news. I guess it's actually 66, um, so it's a little bit longer. Uh, than, than people thought. A uh, journal of psychological research that I found uh, said this, it usually requires a minimum of about 21 days to affect any perceptible change in a mental image. Following plastic surgery it takes about 21 days for the average patient to get used to his new face, whether when an arm or leg is amputated and a phantom limb persists for about 21 days. People live in a new house for about three weeks before it begins to seem like home. These and many other commonly observed phenomena tend to show that it requires a minimum of about 21 days for an old mental image to dissolve and a new one to gel. The actual amount of time it takes to form a habit depends on the habit we are attempting to form. Habits which are more personally challenging for us um, are more difficult than those that that don't. Drinking a daily glass of water can become automatic. Hopefully you drink more than a day, Um, more than one glass per day. But um, but very quickly, but doing 50 sit-ups before breakfast requires more dedication. However, the researchers found that the average amount of time to move from behavior to habit is 66 days. Once the habit is formed, it's difficult to break. When you build a habit in your brain, it creates a well-used synaptic pathway. So again, it's a little bit longer than 21 days, and I'm sorry. But maybe there's something that you know it would be really good if you could change. That there's a thief that has been robbing you of joy, and maybe it's been forever. And maybe it's going to take you, like, actually being honest with some people in your life or coming and, and sharing something with, with me, somebody at church or a close friend, and saying, I just got to be honest. I want to work on this area. I want to make this happen. And again, sorry, it's a little longer than 21 days. But by this date, things could be changed. You're going to blink, and that day is going to be here. You're going to blink and it's going to be Halloween already. And what if you could be disciplined about this and say, yeah, there's something that I really need to be careful with. There's something that I, has been robbing me a bit of joy. Imagine if you're able to look back and say, yeah, I'm 
really thankful. You know, it was difficult for me. It took some hard work. It took me, you know, gathering some people around me. It took people praying for me. It took some accountability. It took some really difficult steps. But I'm so thankful I made that change. I'm so thankful that, you know, over that summer I was able to make that transition. I'm so thankful. And you know what? I'm not as bitter as I used to be anymore. I'm so thankful that I just have this perspective on life. I'm thankful that I have these limits around technology, so I pay more attention to the people who are around me. I'm so thankful for whatever it is, fill in the blank. What is a thief? It can rob you of joy. Because Jesus calls us to live a life that is unique. We all can fall to all of this stuff, but Jesus says, I have called you to live a life that people would look at and say, that's a little bit different. I'd like to have the, the band come up to start playing our, our final song, Build My Life. And in this song, there's this, this simple refrain that uh, would call us all to, to build our lives around the truths of God. Because here's the, the saddest thing, this rob you potentially of joy right now. But it also affects people most who love you the most. If you're in a season where you're kind of just screwing up your finances, who's that going to eventually affect? Or you haven't paid enough attention to your health, who's that eventually going to affect? I heard a story recently about an old monk who was sharing with with a young monk, and this young monk comes with, with this question, and he says this, if you still have my sermon slides, The young monk says, do you still wrestle with the devil, Father, to this old monk? He said, I've grown old and the devil has grown old with me. He no longer has much strength. Now I wrestle with God. You wrestle with God and you hope to win? The old monk smiles and says, I hope to lose my child. As we think about this passage that tells us about the abundant life that God calls us to, may we understand that our lives eventually, hopefully, become about submitting ourselves to that love. And it takes a a wrestling, it takes a daily discipline, it takes us, like, actively engaging. But may we build our lives on the love of Christ. And to recognize that God calls us to live in such a way that it would profoundly change us, that we would look unique to people around us. Not because of ourselves, but because we are submitting ourselves to the love of God. And we don't wrestle with some of the same stuff that we used to anymore. But now we just submit ourselves to the love of Christ that changes us in this present moment and has the ability to change our lives and the people that we love the most forever. So what is it perhaps that you would love to change? And it's going to take some work. It's going to be hard. But what's a thief that you would like to say, you know, by September 6th, I want to work on that thing. It takes honesty. It takes vulnerability. But I believe ultimately we can change. And even though, unfortunately, it's more than 21 days, 66 isn't all that long. We have an unbelievable ability in our minds to change things dramatically about us. And may we choose to build our lives on the love of Christ. 
Let's stand and worship together.